All right, Lord Almighty, we give you praise. Thank you that you have given us the privilege, the grace, the opportunity to be your hands and feet. Lord, you don't need a single dollar, but you have chosen to use us to give of the resources that you have given to us uh, so that we can be uh, the people who... um, humanly speaking, are the means of your ministry and your love to grow. And bless us in that. And help us, Lord, as we tackle a very difficult passage tonight. And give us hearts that look uh, to you. And we give you the praise and the thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Barely six months into my marriage with my first wife, I needed to go and do a cross-cultural internship in order to do my master's degree at seminary. And so I chose to go to an orphanage in Mexico, one that the church I was from and the one that Donna grew up in had gone to repeatedly for their short-term missions. You know how we go to the Navajo Reservation? They went to Rancho Milagro. Now, Rancho Milagro was on a ranch just a little bit north and east of Ensenada, and there were probably about 30 boys at the time and probably twice that many girls, and there were two other Americans who were there uh, with me spending our summer down there taking care of the kids. So this other young man and I were taking care of our hooligans, I mean, the young men uh, that were there, And we were outside one of the dormitories and we looked up at the hill and there was this little plume of smoke rising. Realizing that we did not have active knowledge of every one of our charges, we ran across, you could see kind of a line of trees right about midway. That's an arroyo, it's a little dry riverbed. Running this way at the bottom of the screen, you can see where the pigsties and the chicken coop is. And this picture was taken, actually, by my father-in-law. On the hillside, we were sprinting up to, but we had to go a little bit this way and go on this really narrow cliff, clinging to our shovels, and the other guy and other kids were running with our shovels to get to where this fire was because a fire there is bad. We'll just leave it at that. Get the fire out. Now, fortunately, we were able to get our shovels and put out the fire. It had only, you know, consumed, you know, a a small area, several feet wide. But what happened? Why why did it happen? Well, uh, two of the hooligans, I mean, uh, boys that were at our place decided to go raid the chicken coop and they got an egg and they put some water in a tuna can. yes a tuna can, exactly what you're thinking of, put the egg in there and they were going to boil it. But they had to get away from the camp, otherwise they'd get in trouble. So what did they do? They put, they built a little fire under the tuna can underneath a tall bush because that would hide the smoke. (laughs) Listen, no one ever accused boys who were up to no good of having thought things through. At least no one ever accused me of having thought things through. 
But you know, fighting flames with shovels and rakes at an orphanage was effective. Unfortunately, when it comes to fighting fires in our hearts and in our culture, a little bit more effective tools are needed. Tonight, we're going to talk in part about fighting fire with holy fire. Now, as Paul writes his most important letter, he understands that we are at war. And both sides of this war use fire as weapons in their designs. Let me see if I can, um, if I can convince you of my interpretation. I'm going to start reading Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 15, which is actually the last sentence of a paragraph. Paul writes, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, or as the NIV translates it, beginning and ending in faith. As it is written, the one who by faith is righteous shall live. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they, gave, they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Here we are going to learn to fight fire with fire. But before we get to one of the most hated portions of Scripture, the verses I'm going to read here in a few minutes, I want to help us see how it is that Paul sets this hated portion of Scripture up. What is the logic that leads Paul to one of the most eloquent denunciations of the human sinful condition and of God's response to that condition anywhere. See, the transition from his introduction of Romans, verses 1 to 17, to the rest of the body, starting in verse 18 of the, of the letter that ends in 1521, I think, um, is this is that transition. And Paul desires to preach the good news to the Roman uh, Christians. So follow with me the logic. Here it is, verse 15. He says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. That's his main statement. Why are you eager, Paul? Why do you want to preach the gospel? Number one reason, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And then he gives two reasons why he's not ashamed. For it is the power of God to salvation. And then he says in verse 17, it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith for faith. Why are you eager to preach the gospel? The second reason is because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness, unrighteousness of men. How, Paul? Because what 
can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Why, Paul? Because his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, so they are without excuse. Why are they without excuse? For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. This morning in my Sunday school class, we spent time going down this. And it's very important to catch. When you get to Romans, Paul is giving a very detailed argument so that we can see, so that we can feel, so that we can know what Paul is saying concerning the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, thank you. I want you guys to catch this. Even if you didn't follow each step, come and see me and I'll, I'll, I'll lay it out a little more clearly. But Paul is making a very detailed argument. So let's break it to modern English. What is Paul's solution to the problem of our sinful condition? Preach the good news of God concerning His Son. What must we do We and everyone near us who is without excuse, we must preach the good news of God concerning His Son to ourselves daily. What is the necessary prescription to the fact that you and I do not honor God or give thanks to Him? Preach the good news of God concerning His sons. And by doing that, make the disciple making disciples that will naturally result from preaching this good news. And when we do that, you will see that we are fighting fire with a holy fire. Now let's see where I get this big idea. I'm going to start in verse 18. Paul says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now the first question we get to as we come to this passage is, what is the wrath of God? I mean, talk about a downer. Debbie Downer, man alive. We're talking about the wrath of God. Oh, I don't want to hear about that. But many times we find throughout Scripture that it talks an awful lot about the wrath of God. Why? Because before we're able to hear the good news, we have to know the bad news. And the wrath of God throughout Scripture is associated with fire. Our God is a consuming fire. God is against evil. And evil... Um, is what we go after naturally when we are apart from God. But John Stott offers a little bit more helpful definition when he defines the wrath of God. He says the wrath of God is his, quote, settled and perfectly righteous antagonism to evil. By the way, in your sermon notes, I gave you some sermon questions. When you get to that question, go through that statement one word at a time and see what John Stott is trying to get at. I would love to spend more time on this. But God's wrath is settled. It is from His every fiber, so to speak. There is no part of God that is okay with sin like there is in you and me. It is settled means there is no wavering. He is perfectly consistent in His hatred of evil. God's wrath is also perfectly righteous. Have you ever had a moment of absolutely pure 
righteous indignation? Well, not sure that I have. I can trust Jesus with the whip in the temple, but I'm not sure that I can. And he's not like that. His is always perfectly righteous. But his wrath is also antagonism. It's opposition. It's fighting something. And that something, the, what he's actively working to thwart is evil. And he opposes evil at his source. His wrath is against evil. Now, Paul kind of divides this evil into two ideas. That's our next slide. And these ideas are ungodliness and unrighteousness. And the ungodliness is our sin that's aimed at God. And our unrighteousness, or as some translations have it, wickedness is aimed at people. Sometimes our evil manifests itself as, God, I don't want this. I am mad at you. And sometimes our wickedness is aimed at someone else. We, we don't like them. We're bitter towards them. We want to fight them, whatever it is. But see, now Paul is saying God's wrath is against both of these sources of evil. But I want you to notice something even more foundational than that. Even before we get to this idea of fighting against God or fighting against people, Paul and God are concerned about the suppressing of the truth. Because... If I can convince myself that there is no God, or I can convince myself that his rules and laws don't really apply to me, if I can suppress the truth, then I can do anything. I've been telling my boys and now my daughter since the earliest days, the worst thing you can do is lie. Because if you can teach your heart to lie, you can teach your heart to allow you to get away with anything. And that is what really ticks God off. And when I got here, when I, got, when I saw this word suppression, the very first thought that popped into my mind is fire suppression. These sprinklers that are all around us. And what is what does the world want to do? It wants to suppress the fire of the consuming God. It wants to suppress the fire of the Word of God that convicts us. And that's why the world hates the Bible. That's why the world mocks the Bible. So what is the way to fight fire with holy fire? We fight the fire of this world with the holy fire of God's Word. Now here, if I take this Bible and I put it there and I walk away from it, is that the Word of God? Is it active and living in me? Well spoken. I'll take that. Yes, thank you. But it's only active and living in me if I am putting it in my mind and heart, right? Now, I don't agree with Karl Barth 100%, but his point when he said that the Bible is the Word of God when it is in you is important. 
We need to love the people around us by having this in our minds and hearts. That is the first step in fighting the fire of the world that is trying to suppress the fire of the Holy Spirit with holy fire. But Paul continues in verse 19. He says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has already shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, what invisible attributes, Paul? His eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Now, I have a couple of atheist friends on my Facebook page, and sometimes we go at it and... I want to cry for their souls. But I can hear both of them right now saying to the, I can't see God plainly. So allow me to interact with the atheists in my mind just for a moment. My first point is, well, you can argue this if you want. But it is what the Bible says. And if you like, we can talk first about what the Bible says and that it is the Word of God. But it's here. And what I have found is... Atheists and agnostics will tell you that the word of God is not valid. It's, it's circular, blah, 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 blah. You know what? I'm going to tell you a secret about arguing. If you can answer, if you can prepare yourself to answer two levels of questions, even the most advanced people can't dig deeper than that. Why? Because they're too absorbed in television right now. Just go to str.org, standtoreason.org. Go to a couple of websites and prepare yourself to answer just about two questions and the average person won't be able to touch you. And let me tell you something else. When I was a college-age pastor, I told our kids, you take any professor who challenges you on the Bible and you tell them, I will come and debate them. Because we have the goods, people. We have the goods. God has not left himself without witness. And you and I can be sure that this is the word of God. That's another sermon, but you, you got to start there. The second thing I want to say to my atheist buddies is, hmm, Scotty, it strikes me as odd that when you call yourself an atheist, you're always talking about the Christian God. It's like you got this thing. You're always arguing about the true God. But I'll leave that alone. But seriously though, my atheist friend, pay attention and be careful. Because what this verse is, is a warning shot across your bow. It's God Almighty, your Heavenly Father telling you, hmm, I wouldn't go there if I were you. My friends, what you need to know based upon these two verses is that God is serious. Go to God's Word because there you will find hope. There you will find truth. And there you will be able to interpret because you know this, you'll be able to interpret all the garbage that is out there in the world and you will be able to sift through it and then the other thing to do is it'll make your stomach turn when you see this stuff because you just see oh the folly of it all but our culture continues on our merry way but 
What seems so convincing now will be shown to be the stupid, poisonous vomit that it is when we see Jesus face to face. Because one day, according to Habakkuk, the prophet says, Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations worry themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. Listen, when you start to be discouraged, write this verse on your refrigerator and go to it. Because all that the view says, all that you see on all these fake news sites, all that you see all over the place will someday be completely and utterly forgotten. And the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will be as clear as you going out to the, to the beach and seeing the ocean, the Pacific Ocean that goes farther than anybody can see. It is true for now. God permits His glory to be hidden, but God's eternal power and His divine nature will one, be, one day be as clear as the waters cover the sea. But Paul, not content with that, continues. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, nor give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You silly Christians who are on the wrong side of history. But we're not. Here Paul gets into how it is they try to suppress the fire of God. Are you ready? Here's their big tactics. Here's their way that they think they're going to win. They do not honor God nor give thanks to Him. Listen, I'm a relatively simple guy. I like to keep things simple. Living a successful human life is not complex. Honor God. Give thanks to Him. There you go not hard bow the knee acknowledge that your resources are not sufficient and that you need his resources because if you fail to honor God and give thanks to him you and I will become futile in our thinking now excuse me for being blunt but Paul gives it to us here futility is pulling someone's pants down and not being able to tell whether they are male or female That's it. That tells you there's something wrong. Let's be adults for a second. We are not the first generation to be so confused. I used to really struggle with the end of Jonah because in Jonah it says, you know, I have all these people and they do not know their right hand from their left. And I, what does that mean? You know what I think it means? This is my opinion. This is my opinion. I think Jonah is getting exactly this. He was trying to find a euphemism. He was trying to get around saying, oh, if you pull down their pants, they can't tell if they're male or female. And the way he 
expressed it was by saying they don't know the right hand from their left. Because if you're so foolish, you don't know your right hand from the left, you might be foolish enough not to know what gender somebody is. Furthermore, throughout every culture, there have been men and women who for one reason, all kinds of reasons, have been less masculine or less feminine. They didn't fit cultural norms. And my friends, the world has fallen. We should expect that kind of issue. And we should be tolerant. We should accept this fact and uphold their dignity. But we must do so by treating special cases as special and not let high school boys into high school girls' locker rooms. But let's go one better than that. Let's not be tolerant. Let's be loving. Let's be gracious. Let's us fight fire with holy fire. Love your neighbor. Go out of your way to love them. Go out of your way to let them see the reasonableness of love. Listen, if your neighbor is homosexual or transgender or, or whatever problems they have, just love them. Accept them for who they are. If, if they look like a Bob, but they call themselves Sally, call them Sally. Don't try to fight that battle with them. Just love them. Let them see that you love them as they are. And then they will see Wow, here is someone that I can talk to. At worst case scenario, they will see here is someone who is not shoving their morality down my throat. You may never have a chance to get into the good news, but you'll be living it in front of them. And that is how you will fight fire with holy fire. Paul continues, and as Paul continues, I want you to notice something. There's three quick paragraphs. Paul has set up his argument in verses 18 to 23, and then he has three quick paragraphs, 24, 25, 26, 27, and then 28 to 32. And in each of these steps, it appears that what Paul is doing is showing how the society or the individual gets worse. And then they get worse, and then they get worse, and then they get worse. Because in each case, Paul says, therefore, God gave them up. Therefore, God gave them up. Therefore, God gave them up. Let's see what this staircase into hell looks like. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. God gave them up. Listen, if you follow your lusts, you will get your lusts. And what you'll find is that they are pig slop you'll find that they're so much sugared up arsenic. You'll find that your dreams are nightmares. 
I'm not going to get graphic with Paul's comment, dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. We're all old enough to have a perfectly vivid imagination of what he's getting at. But I think instead it'd be useful to look at verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Because God placed eternity into our hearts, we know that there must be a God. And as I said a moment ago, there's no use arguing about it. You can. You're free to. God has left that option temporarily available. But what we have found is that we, humans in general, have exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And this lie is an effort to deceive someone normally firsthand yourself, who deserves the truth. And every human soul deserves the truth about God. And nevertheless, every single human soul attempts to deceive itself. Christian, you know what I'm talking about. Because you and I still do it every day. We lie to ourselves. Well, my bitterness is okay, because if you knew how bad that guy over there was, you'd be okay with me being bitter too. Or, well, my husband doesn't treat me right, so I'm going to dig him over here like this. We lie to ourselves through our teeth. But you and I can help our neighbor who doesn't know Jesus by loving them. Live the truth that you know. Look, no one is saying to you, apply every single thing in the Bible. Can't do it. Been doing this Christian thing now, what, 28 years? I'm still light years away from doing that. Go to God's Word each day and ask Him for a promise. And then, that day, live that promise. Ask Him to give you the grace to live that promise in front of somebody else. 25 continues. They worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator. Now what on earth does that mean? Because except on the Nat Geo channel, I've never actually seen someone bowing down to a statue or an animal. Again, excuse me for being graphic, but Paul is being very graphic here. We are in a culture, once again, we are not the first culture to do this, that worships our genitals. You go on any ancient Near East dig and you will find genitals, little models of genitals all over the place because that's what they were bowing down and worshiping. We just do it differently. Instead, we have our little devices we can look at each other's genitals on. Or we can open up our magazines and we can see the genitals of half-naked people all over the place because it sells. It doesn't matter if it's perfume. It doesn't matter what it is. But that's what we're worshiping. And Paul knows it. Why? It's not because 21st American century, century America is the first generation that has done it. No. Demons know that we fall for this stuff. And Paul is saying here, in this case, in this case, I'm interpreting what Paul is saying, is we are the creatures that we are worshiping. And guess what? 
We're finding out that it is a poor substitute for the real God. We're finding out that once you open that door, Pandora's box is just going to fly open and you're going to have all kinds of problems and we just can't even. So how are you going to fight this fire with holy fire? How are you going to make a difference? Go get elected to Congress? Well, maybe if that floats your boat. That's not me. How can we fight this particular kind of fire with fire? It's a secret. Can you handle it? Get excited about Jesus! Get excited about Jesus because he is worth being excited about. Politics? Whatever. It changes every day. You can't keep up with that stuff and you can't make up the stuff that they spew all over the place. Holy smokes. Get excited about Jesus. Understand that he is far more glorious than anything you will see on CNN or the Playboy channel or whatever else that you're looking at. Uh, I don't think most people here are looking at the Playboy channel, but you get my idea. Get excited about Jesus. Oh my goodness. I've got five more verses. Okay, let's, let's do this. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women who, and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. Let's jump to the application. I don't care what happens in other people's bedrooms. I don't care. And frankly, I don't want anybody to know what happens in my bedroom. It's nobody else's business. So, what do we do? We fight fire with fire. We fight fire with fire by being absolutely sold out on loving us. The church. Love us. Men, give hugs to men that mean something. Women, give hugs to women that mean something. Share your love by sharing your time, your talent, and your treasure. And guess what? You will make the world jealous. Because the best they've got is their parades in San Francisco. That last a day or two. But we've got love. We've got real love. And Paul concludes, he says in verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They were gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they knew God... Know they know God's righteous decree that those who practice things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Oh my. Oh my. My friends, 
our culture is experiencing the wrath of God. We're not, we're not subject to the wrath of God because we elect Donald Trump or Obama, whoever you happen to like. We're not subject to God's wrath because we approve same-sex marriage. We're not subject to God's wrath because we've murdered a bazillion babies. All of these bad things are God's wrath. Now it's true, it's a both ends, it's a give and take. But I want you to see that the cultural morass that we are living in is the wrath of God. And we're going to get to heaven someday and we're going to be talking to somebody who's like, holy smokes, you guys had it bad. We just had to deal with the black plague. Look what you had to deal with. <laughs> Fight fire with holy fire. Love. Love is the answer. Show the world what love means. Be set ablaze in your hearts with the sacrifice for the good of those around you. Now you're not going to be able to do so equally for everyone. But start with a little bit, a little match light of love for somebody. And if they take it, give them a little more. If they take it, give them a little more. And see that heart set on fire. I don't remember how old I was, but I was very young when I made the glorious discovery that you could start fires with a magnifying glass. <laughs> and my dad had a marvelous magnifying glass. It was about that big. Man, it was great. And we had this tree in our front yard that had these little tiny leaves, just like a bazillion little tiny leaves. And so one day, in all of my enormous wisdom, on the sidewalk leading up to our door, I made this kind of little path with, you know, several million of these leaves that were growing that had fallen from this tree. And, you know, I got out there with my magnifying glass and all of a sudden it caught fire. And it caught fire. And when it caught fire, it grew big and fast, and it made a beeline straight for the carpet right inside the door, which, of course, I had left open in this great big pile of leaves. Usain Bolt had nothing on me that day. And I was far more afraid of my father than I was of burnt feet and clothing as I was stamping out this fire. Whew! Our world is ablaze. Our world is already on fire. There is an end times version of God's wrath. And I don't think that's what Paul's getting at here. He's talking about that path of leaves that is burning big and fast. And you and your blazing heart is what stands between them and that fire reaching the door of eternity. Love them. Show them your love. And that is the answer that will penetrate their heart by God's grace. And they will be able to see how the earthly evil fire is fought with holy fire. Lord Almighty, give us big hearts. Give us big hearts that are 
caught on fire with your holy love learned from your word so that we will be able to stand in the way. They will have to fight us and step over our dead bodies to get through to the gates of hell. Lord, let us love. Let us give. Let us be the people you have created us to be. Let us fight the fire of this world with your holy fire. In Jesus' name, amen.